Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. When you think of outsiders, you think of people who just don't seem to fit, or you think of outcasts and rebels, the people on the outside looking in. But what did Jesus think about outsiders? This week, we conclude with week three of our series called The Outsiders. Let's listen in. But uh, man, we are, again, so excited. We are concluding this morning a series that we've been in for the last three weeks that we've called The Outsiders. And, um, and, and I really want to be um, upfront and intentional with what we're doing today, where we're going today. Like, if today was kind of a map on a road trip, we have two very specific and very strategic spots to stop at, points of, of destination that we're going to hopefully be hitting, that we will be hitting today. And point number one is this. Um, point number one on, on our map is going to be a point of decision. And my prayer um, for, for this whole week, for this service has been, um, man, that as people, um, as we deal with things as people, man, the continual struggle is to surrender situations to Jesus. You know, to surrender unique situations, surrender specific circumstances to Jesus. For some of us, it means surrendering our lives to Jesus. And my prayer today is that as we dive into one of my favorite stories, one of the most unique interactions that Jesus has uh, with people, that, that our hearts would be softened, that our hearts would be open, that when we come to point number one, the point of decision, that we would make a conscious decision for some of us to follow Jesus with our lives. Maybe we've never done that before. Maybe we said a prayer once and it didn't take, and we just live our lives um, acknowledging Jesus, but living as though he doesn't exist. My prayer is that we would, that for some of you, you would surrender your lives to Jesus. That for some of you, you would surrender your circumstances and situations to Jesus. And the decision we have to make really is this. Is Jesus who he says he is, or is he a liar? And my prayer is that uh, at this point of decision, we would understand because of his grace and because of his mercy, that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. He is who he says he is. And then point number two is, is we're going to be ending at a point of remembrance because this morning we're going to be uh, remembering the, the, the sacrifice that Christ paid uh, for us by partaking in communion. And um, if you're new to Motion City uh, or if you've never had communion with us, the only thing that we ask is that you be uh, a follower of Jesus, that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's our only requirement for communion. And so... This morning, we're going we're gonna to land this plane uh, called The Outsiders, and again, I'm so glad everyone's with us. Now, if you haven't been with us the whole series, just want to give you a quick recap of what we've talked about over the last two weeks. Week one, uh, Pastor Matt Van Winkle, who's going to be planting a church in the Midtown neighborhood that we're, we have the joy and honor of planting, he kicked the series off for me, and, he, and he's, he spoke a very practical word about the story of Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus, and, the, and the, 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 the practical challenge that Pastor Matt left with us was this, that we can either live our lives as an includer or an excluder. We can live our lives as either someone who excludes or someone who includes. And here's the the, the amazing thing. Life is way more fun as an includer. Life is way more fun when we include people on the journey. And man, wasn't Jesus the the, just the, the goal setter, the trend setter when it comes to including people. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter what they've done. It didn't matter where they came from. It didn't matter what they were in the middle of doing. Jesus just said, hey, just come hang with me. And here's the cool thing. You don't have to be included to be an includer. Man, start your own crew. Start your own posse. Start your own friend circle. Go back to T-Mobile. Get your fave five. Do whatever you got to do. But it's just like, man, life is so much more fun when we include. And last week, we looked at the story of Jesus healing not only the woman with the issue of blood, 
But we also looked at uh, Jesus healing Jairus' 12-year-old daughter and the unique juxtaposition that both Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood were at because Jairus, if if you weren't here, he was a, a synagogue leader. He had money. He had means. He had fame. He had position. He had, I mean, everything that what we would look at be like, man, that dude right there is successful. That dude right there has need for nothing, but he's got his 12-year-old daughter who's dying. And then we have this woman who goes unnamed in every gospel account, this unnamed woman dealing for 12 years with an issue of blood. It took everything from her entire life, her relationships, uh, I mean, so much, just 12 years, medical doctors, all of her money, all of her relationships. And she and both Jairus and this woman had the same thing in common. For everything that made them different, they had the most important thing in common, and they both needed Jesus. And the big idea that we wanted to take away from that is that Jesus uh, doesn't simply turn outsiders into insiders, but Jesus transforms outsiders into family. Then Jesus turns outsiders into family. And so this morning, as we land this plane, as we conclude this series, um, we're going to be looking at a specific interaction that Jesus had um, with those who I would probably deem the ultimate outsiders. Uh, We're going to be looking at an interaction that Jesus has between two criminals who are hanging on either side of Jesus as Jesus himself is being crucified. And so if you have your Bible this morning or you have a Bible app on your phone or as Nathan and Chelsea and Tim mentioned, we've got an app. And there's a Bible thing in this app. So if you just have the Motion City app, you can open your app, go right to your Bible. Um, But if you're old school like me, I'm going to be using a paper Bible this morning. And... um, And if I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And as you're turning to this morning, what I want to do is I want to set up the scene of what is happening right now. I want to paint just a picture. And, And what's happening is that Jesus has just come from his trial before Pontius Pilate where a riotous crowd demanded that Jesus be crucified and, and Pilate succumbing to the, the, to the crowd's desires and the voices of the crowd, the voices of, of these people, these demands, he sentences Jesus to death. And so Jesus, where we find him is that he is, he is already weak from this enormous ordeal. Uh, the, the scriptures talk about that he was, he was beaten up by the guards. He was slapped in the face by the religious leaders. Uh, in the Gospel of John, it talks about that Jesus was flogged by a lead-tipped whip and then forced to carry his cross through the city to the hill in which he was going to be crucified. I mean, could you imagine just for a second carrying with you as a constant reminder with each step and each breath, you are carrying your mode of death. I mean, that's just insane. And, and, and what, a, what a mental sort of just debilitating experience where Jesus, over his shoulder, is carrying the means in which he is about to die. So there's, there's no chance, there's no happenstance, there's no getting around it. Jesus, through the streets, beaten, bloodied, weak and broken, is bringing his mode of death. And he's, he's doing so in front of people who just hate him, who despise his existence. He's doing it in front of his, his followers, the, the, these men who have chosen to follow Jesus over the last three years. And, and I can understand what these men are thinking in this moment because they're thinking, man, I didn't expect it to be like this. Man, when, when he called me, I was a fisherman. 
And he called me to something bigger. I didn't expect that this is the, man, he, I was a tax collector. And man, he called me out of my, out of this life and he called me to what I thought was something bigger. And now th- this, this is not what I anticipated. So these men who, and, and, and these Jesus followers who, who followed Jesus and, and hung on to his every word, man, they're, they're, they're standing on the side watching this man that they followed, that they believe in, that they've put their hope in, their trust in. Man, it wasn't supposed to end like this. Jesus is, is, is dragging across through the street, and, and his mother is in the crowd. I mean, I don't even know in that moment what is going through Mary's heart right now. As she watches her miracle, her miracle baby boy, being so despised and so hated and so disfigured, carrying a criminal's cross up a hill and I can't even imagine. And I can see Jesus. My, I've said numerous times in my life, I see things in movies, and I can just see Jesus just crawling through the streets. But the thing about Jesus that I love is he's never crawling away from the hill he's always crawling towards. I think it's just so amazing that Jesus continually is crawling towards the hill, towards his death, because he understands that this is why he was put on this earth. And so then we find, we have this guy, this guy Simon, who was of, of a, community, a city called Serene. Uh, he was just randomly grabbed out of a crowd because I guess it was taking Jesus too long. And so this guy Simon carries Jesus' cross up the hill the remainder of the way. And in Luke 23, starting in verse 32, um, this is where we find the story picking up. And so this is what the Word of God says in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, starting in verse 32. It says, Two others. Both criminals were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of, of sour wine. What sour wine was, um, was that it was actually wine that had turned, and then they mixed it with vinegar. And that's what they offered Jesus, once again, just continually in a sense of, of mocking. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, see, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. All of a sudden, we find one of the criminals hanging next to Jesus, what I like to refer to as a soapbox moment. He just kind of like musters this courage to have this soapbox because by rebuking his, his buddy for not having, for mocking Jesus and not having a strong fear of the Lord. And it, it's amazing because it's such an audacious move by this other, this one criminal because as we read other gospel accounts, specifically in the book of Matthew, Matthew 27 verse 44, it tells us that even the revolutionaries, even these criminals who were crucified with him, ridiculed him in the same way. So it's not just one ridiculing him and the other standing for Jesus. Matthew's gospel account tells us 
that both of them at the same time were ridiculing and mocking Jesus. And the question that I have to ask this morning, the question that I have to ask of myself in moments when I catch myself in one moment being a hypocrite and another moment being a soapbox-driven person, I have to ask myself this morning, what happened in that moment? What happened in that moment for this guy to go from, along with everyone else, heaping insults and ridicule and mockery at Jesus to rebuking his buddy, for, not, for having a weak fear of the Lord and what I want us to think about this morning. When we think about what we're, before we partake in communion this morning is this fact, if you're taking notes, here's point number one, is that we as human beings by nature are deeply inconsistent creatures. We as human beings by nature are deeply inconsistent creatures. I mean, here's the deal. We are, and this is just, we're just going to, I mean, it's all of us. It's me. Just because I have the mic doesn't mean I'm any better or whatever. I mean, we just played cards with, with Jamie and Christine the other night. And, man, like, they, cards don't bring out the best in me. And so, like, they said, like, yeah, that dude is a mess. He's a mess times two and, and all these different things just over cards, over Monopoly, which is a really fun game. So here's the deal. You just go to Amazon after, go to Amazon Smile, or just go to, yeah, support my buddy Nate. Make sure Nate's kids can eat and just order the card game Monopoly. It's a lot of fun, but it'll bring out the, the worst in you. And, and, uh, but here's the deal. All of us, all of us, if we are awake and breathing, are at our core walking contradictions, are we not? I mean, if we can just lay all the cards on the table, if I can just use it, we're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. Our capacity to get things right, the way in which God desires and calls us to get things right are extremely limited. Now, here's the deal. Before you start feeling down and before you start feeling condemned, and, and I was just thinking about, I mean, it's like, man, they invited people, and this is what I'm telling them. Like, the, come on. But here's the, here's the deal. The great thing is, if you're inconsistent this morning, if you've ever been a hypocrite this morning, Here's the deal, man, you are in great company. You are in incredible company. Some of the greatest pillars of our faith and of the New Testament church, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, we've got the pastor to the Jews and the pastor to the Gentiles, they are continually inconsistent, just as inconsistent as you or I. I think about the Apostle Peter, and in the 24 hours, the most vulnerable 24 hours of Jesus' 33 and a half years on this earth, Peter goes from valiantly cutting off the ear of one of the high priest's slaves when they come to arrest Jesus in the garden. He goes from slashing one of the slaves' ears off to less than 12 hours later hollering at a junior high girl and denying that he even knows Jesus. And here's the junior high girls, they're scary, but I don't think they're that scary. And you get Peter, who's like, at one sense, like, go, taking the, the sword to somebody for Jesus. And the next minute, when a teenage girl approaches him about knowing, he, he freaks out. He yells at her. He, he denies even knowing Jesus. He is, incon is he inconsistent? You bet. Is he a hypocrite? Absolutely. But this is the same Peter, who is the lead pastor of the first Christian church that we have, we have historical account of, and who in 12 hours had the, the humanity 
No matter how closely he followed Jesus or for how long he followed Jesus, he still had the humanity to deny him. But look at what God did through him. Man, you are in great company if you've ever been inconsistent. When we got the Apostle Paul, I love Paul's brutal honesty. I love that Paul's just brutally honest, but I love his brutal honesty, not about us, but about himself. And in Romans 7, is such a phenomenal chapter that Paul wrote. And basically, this, this the subtext, the, the Cliff's notes would simply be this. This is what Paul says. He goes, here's the deal, guys. There are things that I really want to do for Jesus. There are things, man, I really want to do for Jesus, but I don't do them. And there's things that I know I shouldn't do. There's things that I know I should not involve my life in. And here's the deal. Man, I do those things. Man, why can't I do what I want to do and not do what I don't, not do what I don't want to do? And, and he talks about, man, he loves God. He loves God's law with all his heart. I mean, Paul is the theologian of theologians. He is the, the, the he's, he's referred to in the New Testament as the, the Jew of all Jews. He knows the answers. He knows what he's supposed to be. And he refers to himself. He says, man, what a miserable person am I? Have you ever felt that way this morning? Man, what a miserable person I am. And then I love what he says, because he doesn't leave it there. Because see, Paul understands. And I love what he says in verse 24. It says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I love that he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm so grateful for Paul's transparency and for his honesty, because just like Paul, this is you and me. When we do things we don't want to do, and we don't do the things that we want to do, But what some of us need to know this morning and what some of us need to be reminded of as well is that at the height of our inconsistency and in the depth of our hypocrisy, just like this criminal on the cross is about to discover, point number two is this, is that Jesus paid for it all. Jesus paid for it all. He paid for your inconsistency. He paid for your hypocrisy. Jesus paid for it all. Jesus is the answer. And here's the deal. If you're here this minute, but that ha- that's too simple. And I'm sorry. It is. It's that simple. Jesus is the answer. Jesus paid for it all. If you were looking for a deeper theological meaning to it, I can't give it to you. I just can't. Because there came a point for me in my life when I was in Rockford, Illinois, at my most broken, at my most inconsistent, and at my most hypocritical, where God spoke into my existence, and I had to hide the ugly man crying that was going on. And if you've known me for like two minutes, I cry a lot. I cry all, you put the Pixar logo up on a screen, I'm going to start crying because someone's about to die and they're about to pull on my heartstrings. Screw you, Pixar. And so I just, it's like, but I cry all the time. And I'm, but I'm, but this is like a new, like, this is ugly man crying. Like, this is just like, just horrible. Like, no one's going to date you after they see that type of crying. And I'm just crying. I'm just bawling because, man, for the first time in my life, I, I know that God had a purpose and a plan for my life. And, and I knew it when I was 12, but then life seemed to happen and teenage years and adolescence seemed to happen. And it was just like, God just had to remind me of what he had purposed me for, and I just couldn't take it. I was just so overwhelmed. And in Rockford, Illinois, standing in a Holiday Inn Express shower, fully clothed, crying out to God. This is, I just, is like, Jesus, if you are who you say you are and you want to use me, then fine, you got me. That was it. That was it. There wasn't a magical prayer. There wasn't a class I had to go through. It was just simply the fact that Jesus met me and my most inconsistent and my most hypocritical 
and I understood for the first time that Jesus paid for it all. And so because Jesus paid for it all, my, my only response is to give Jesus everything. The thing that I love about Jesus is, and I can't think of a better outsider than, than these criminals on the cross dying because of their sin next to Jesus who is dying for these criminal sins. And in the process of doing, he is showing us once and for all how deep and how high and how wide the love of God is for us. Jesus no matter what you've walked in here today with, no matter what you've walked in here thinking, no matter what you've walked in here assuming, can I just tell you this, Motion City Church, Jesus has paid for it all. There's no qualifiers. There's no expectations. There's no nothing. He has paid for it all. And so then this criminal, after audaciously rebuking his buddy for not having a proper fear of the Lord in his life, turns to Jesus and says something even more audacious, even more audacious than rebuking a fellow criminal. He, he begins, he turns to speak as someone of, of proven guilt, speaking to someone of proven innocence, picking up in verse 42, it says this, and then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That, that phrase, remember me. I love how the Bible sets this up. That's communion talk right there. See, and when Jesus instituted communion at his last meal with his disciples, he broke the bread and he poured out the wine. He said, this represents my body. That will be broken. And my blood, that will be poured out for you. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so why do we take the time to remember, Motion City Church? Why do we take the time to, to intentionally remember? Because here's the deal, man. We are notorious at forgetting I mean, wives, your husband, notorious at forgetting, right? Anybody ever been late because husband can't find the car keys? That's us all the time. This morning, and we passed her this mug. Like, we were, like, I didn't know. I mean, but it's like, man, we as human beings are notoriously and ridiculously forgetful. We're notorious. And here's the thing that, that drives me crazy about me is that I am so notorious at remembering what God wants me to forget and forgetting what God wants me to remember. And Jesus is representing through the, this act of breaking bread and pouring out wine that he's, he's saying, man, this is going to be my sinless body that's about to get broken. And I can't imagine, I, I really don't think that the disciples understood what Jesus was saying when he said broken. And he poured out the wine as the, as the divine blood spilt for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. And so we have this criminal looking over at Jesus saying, will you remember me? And I think Jesus in the same way as we take communion says to us, but yeah, I'll remember, will you remember me? I mean, this guy, this criminal, historians believe that because he was being crucified, because he was give, uh, getting capital punishment, had to have been a murderer. So we've got this guy, this criminal, this, this murderer, who brings no resume of righteousness, be, righteous behavior to Jesus. In fact, because in the way he's dying, he's bringing the exact opposite resume to Jesus. He has no moral legs to stand on. He has no righteous resume to push across to Jesus. There's no highlight reel of his life. For Jesus to consider, will you remember me? And, and the thing that God so reminded me of on Thursday as I was working on this message, he goes, here's the deal, Steve, but here's the, neither do you. You have no moral legs to stand on. You have no righteous resume on your own to bring to me. 
You have nothing that would make me want to use you, but aren't you glad for God's grace? Aren't you glad that God sees more in you than you see in you? Aren't you glad that when he created you with a purpose and for a purpose and on purpose that your first mistake didn't negate that? Man, I'm so grateful for that because even though I come to Jesus with no legs to stand on, no resume, no highlight reel, and although my inconsistency and my hypocrisy aren't as blatant or as obvious as deserving capital punishment, they are deserving of eternal punishment. And the Bible makes that very clear. God's only standard for eternal life and salvation is that we be perfect and blameless just as our Heavenly Father is perfect and blameless, and that is impossible. And there's moments where I get so upset at God. I'm like, God, you gave us an impossible bar to reach for. You gave me an impossible bar to reach for. But this morning, your hope and my hope is the same as that criminal's hope on the cross, and that hope is Jesus. Before we take communion this morning, before we, we, we remember, we take time to remember the price that Jesus paid for our sin, that through the story of the criminal on the cross, that we would remember that we have nothing to bring to God, but that that would cause him to turn even a, a gracious gaze towards us. I love that, that Hebrews 4 talks about the fact that we have a high priest who is our advocate, who advocates for us. Because he faced the same struggles that you and I have faced. He, he faced the same temptations that you and I have faced. And, then, and the scriptures say, but even in the midst of doing that, he didn't sin. So we have a perfect advocate who stands in between what, what, we, what we've earned and what Jesus deserves, and we have no moral high ground to come to Jesus except by faith. And, and here's what I want you to know this morning. And point number three is this. Your faith is enough. Your faith is enough. I love what Colossians 2, i got to wrap this thing up. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I'm going to be reading from Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase. And this is what uh, Colossians 2, verses 11 through 17 says. It says, entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, here's the deal. You're already in. You're insiders, not through some secretive initiation right, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive. Right along with Christ, think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. So don't put up with anyone pressuring you in details of diet, worship services, or holy days. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. And again, I understand the hesitation. I un if, you are, if, if you are just battling me right now, 
in your mind. I understand the hesitation because it, nothing in life is this simple. Nothing in life is that easy. There can't be all there is. And here's the deal. I love what, what Paul writes about in, in the book of Ephesians where he spends the first half of the book of Ephesians talking about who God is and what Jesus has done. And then he goes in the second half of the book, he talks about, now because of that, this is how we're called to live. But here's the deal. Behavior will follow belief. Your behavior will follow your beliefs. So we're not dealing with behavior right now. We're not dealing with what you've done wrong. What we're dealing with is the heart issue. What we're dealing with is the same issue that the criminal dealt with when he was looking, arching his neck to see Jesus, asking for him to remember him as he goes into his kingdom. Jesus isn't saving the criminal from his behavior. He's saving him because of his faith. That criminal in this moment, even though that sign that hung above the cross, that this is the king of the Jews, was hung in an act of mockery, there's a moment where the criminal begins to believe in his heart. You know what? I think that might be true. I think you may be the king. I think you may be the person that I've heard stories of all my life. I think this may be you, because why on earth would you go through what you're going through if you weren't? The criminal has a moment of faith and he realizes that Jesus is, in fact, not a religious fanatic, but he is the king. And the only thing that this criminal has to offer Jesus was his faith, and his faith gave him freedom. His faith was enough. And I love that Jesus' response in verse 43 is this. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says, I rem I'll remember you, not tomorrow. Not next week. Not when your behavior meets the criteria in which for me to remember you for. No, Jesus says, I'm going to remember you today because, and I always forget this, the fact that when Jesus died was the same day that this guy died. And I love the fact that as Jesus takes his first steps into heaven, he does so with this criminal. It's amazing. Charles Spurgeon, world-famous pastor and author, when preaching a, a sermon on this, I should have probably just pr played that tape because it was just a lot better, but uh, when preaching a sermon on this exact passage, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but I love what Spurgeon says. He, I, he says, I love that the person that Jesus walks through the gates of paradise with are not some sacred martyr or renowned saint, but that he walks through the gates of glory with this criminal. Because if there's enough for, forgiveness and grace for a man like that, there must be enough grace and forgiveness for a man like me. If you're taking notes this morning, I, I always want to end us with a big idea, and I'm going to invite Elena to come up. Our big idea this morning is this. Your faith, it will lead to your freedom. Your faith will lead to your freedom. You may be here this morning, you might be saying, but here's the, I don't know if I have enough faith. Do you have a little? See, I don't know the right way to behave. Here's the deal. We'll figure that out later. We don't have to worry about that right now. You might be saying, but here's the deal. I have done some really, really bad stuff. Jesus' blood covers it. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Gang, the thing that I love about God is that it's his desire that no one would be separated from him that no one would have to perish, that no one would have to spend a day, a moment, eternity without him. 
And so he gives us Jesus to live in our midst, showing us grace, showing us the way to God, and then dying in our place to restore us and to recover the relationship that we broke with God. And the question, and the difficult thing, here's the thing, is, is I, can, I can put all the, the chips on the table, I can lay all the cards, and I can preach the best sermon I've ever preached in my life, and here's the deal, it's not my decision, but we each have to decide. So on our road trip this morning, we're at stop number one. We're at stop number one, and that's the, stop, that's the decision moment. Like this criminal on the cross, we have, like both criminals on the cross, we have to make a decision as to who Jesus is. Not what the book says, not what people have said, not the way that he's been represented or misrepresented. We have to determine for ourselves who is Jesus. Is he a liar and a fraud who just happened to take things too far and it ended him ended him up on the cross? Or is he, in fact, the king? Is he, in fact, the savior? Is he, in fact, the one who gave up everything so that we could gain everything, to give up everything he deserves so that we could earn what he deserves, so that we could receive, not earn, receive what he deserved? Is he a fraud or is he the king in this morning? I'm going to push you to make that decision. If you've never made this, this decision to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you've never made the decision to accept his forgiveness and his grace this morning, if you are here and you would say yes, today, today, February 26th, I want to be forgiven. I want to receive grace. I want to know what it's like to have hope. I want to know what it's like to experience and live in forgiveness, the forgiveness of Jesus. And I want to follow Jesus with everything inside of me, with my whole life for the rest of my life. If that's you in this place with no heads bowed and every eye looking, if that's you, just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. I want to experience his grace. I want to know his freedom. You can just raise your hand. There's no shame in this place. Let's see those hands. That's great. There's no shame in this game. There's no shame in this game. This is the best decision. Motion City, can we celebrate this? This morning, this is the best decision you guys could ever make in your entire life. This will change everything. And not like that difficult change of changing a job or changing your house, man, but this is something, man, you get to walk into, man. I pray that in this moment you would know that you are forgiven, that you would know that you have hope, that you would know that you have a purpose outside of what you could do or earn, and that in this moment you would fully, in your heart and with your lives, receive everything that Jesus gave for you. And amen. And we praise God for those decisions. So this morning, I want to invite our ushers forward. And as we prepare to partake in communion together, again, the only thing I ask is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And man, this is, this is such a celebratory moment. Because, man, we had people just give their lives. So you get, to, man, you get to experience this this morning in a new way, with a new perspective. Man, what an honor it is to get to share communion with you guys today. And so what I'm going to have the, the ushers do is they're going to distribute the elements. It's kind of a two, thank you so much. It's kind of a, a, a two-in-one pack. Who says you can't get a deal anymore? Thank you. Thank you, Katrina. I appreciate that. My mom's not here this morning, so Katrina is laughing at my dumb jokes on behalf of my mom. Um, 
But as the ushers begin to pass out the elements, Elaine is just going to play just very quietly in the background, and then I'm going to come up, and then we're going to partake together. But the scripture says, examine your hearts before we take communion. And so as they're passing, can I just invite you to just take a quick moment of examination? How are you in Jesus? How's your relationship? If there's things that you need to ask God for forgiveness for or from, and do it in these moments before we partake together. We want to do this in an honoring way. So as the ushers continue to pass, I'm going to just shut up for a second, and then I'll be up in a moment to close this all off. been served. If anybody hasn't been served that wants to be, you can just raise your hand real quick and our ushers will find you. Scriptures say on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was meeting with his friends. He was having a meal. And in that meal, so strategically as Jesus often does, in moments of, of normalcy, he finds a moment. And so as Jesus is sitting with his friends, Scriptures say he took the bread and, and it says he broke it and this wasn't very uncommon, but what Jesus was about to say was very uncommon. He said, he said, this is, this is going to be my body. The hush that fell over the room was probably deafening. And, and as Jesus broke, he says, this is my body. And, and, and what's going to happen is it's going to be broken. It's going to be broken for you. It's going to be broken for mankind. And, and then in this moment, as we take communion, we, as we hold this, this cracker, we hold this wafer, we, we hold this in representation of, of, of Jesus' body. His perfect divine body who he chose, he was willing to have it be broken for us. And so, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. Jesus, I thank you so much for your body that was broken for me. And I think about my life so often, and I'm not worth breaking your body over, but Jesus, your love for me was so much greater. And my understanding of myself, my understanding of sacrifice, and, and Jesus, I'm so grateful that your body was broken so that mine wouldn't have to be. So God, in this moment, Jesus, we honor and we remember your sacrifice. Church, can we break the bread and can we take it together?
And can you imagine kind of the confusion in the midst of them, like the pastor on this bread, like, is this really his, his body? Like, this and, then, and then Jesus begins to speak again. He, said, he begins to take a cup, and he begins to pour wine, and, and he, he begins to talk about that this is, his, this is going to be his blood. His blood's about to get poured out. His blood's about to be poured out, not in some reckless, abandoned sort of feat of remembering a religion that he has, but he understood that his divine, his perfect, his sinless, his blameless blood was the only thing was the only thing strong enough to wipe out the disease of our lives called sin. And Jesus begins to pass this cup around. He says, this is my blood. It's going to be poured out for you. It's going to be what forgives you of your sins. It's going to be, it's going to be what covers the brokenness and the, the wretchedness of who we are as people. Only perfect blood can do that. Uh, I love in Genesis where, where when Adam and Eve uh, break their relationship with God, the scriptures say that God formed uh, garment. They formed garments of skin to cover their bodies, man. Even in Genesis, we see something had to die for something to be restored, man. In Genesis, God is foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. And so we have an understanding this morning. We have to remember that again, at your most inconsistent and at your most hypocritical, there was perfect, blameless, divine blood that was poured out for you so that you could say in boldness and with an authority, with a slight swagger but not a jerky kind, that, man, I have been forgiven. So can we take the cup? Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was poured out, for the forgiveness of our sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus, we remember in this moment your perfect blood that was poured out so that we could say that we have been forgiven, that we could say that we have been saved. God, may we never forget. May we never forget the sacrifice that Jesus paid. Help us never to forget as we are so consistently in the habit of doing, but, but, but may everything about our lives be lived in response to Jesus, what you have done. So Jesus, we remember, and we honor, and we are so grateful for the blood that was poured out. Church, can we take the cup together? So would you stand with me one last time? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go. Father, I thank you, God, for what you've done in this place. God, I thank you for hearts and for lives that surrendered to you this morning, God. Father, I thank you, God, that we got to dedicate babies this morning. I, I'm grateful that we got to remember Jesus the pri Man, what a great, great day. And here's the thing. It's such a great, and there's not even football on after this, and it's such a great day. God, I thank you for loving us like you do. I thank you for loving us so well. And so, God, from what happened here today, God, may, may, may it propel us into, re into the rest of the afternoon. May it propel us into this next upcoming weekend for the rest of our lives. God, would we be the representation of your son Jesus on this earth. God, bless every family. Bless every person here. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you ever have a need for prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. We would also love to have you join us in person next week. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.